Please be seated. Good morning, and thank you for the great honor of sharing God's word with you. To introduce the scripture reading, as I know you love to do here at Riverside, and let me just tell you a television commercial that I saw a long time ago and can't remember the product, can't remember what the point was, but I got something out of it that I hope, I hope has to do with this scripture. In the television commercial, picture a man seated at a desk, and in front of him were uh, just a great number of telephones, all of which seemed to be ringing at once. And he'd pick up one and say, sure, sure, I'll do that. And then he'd pick up the next one. Yeah, uh-huh, okay, got it. Yeah, I'll do, I can do that, right. And then the next, and then the next. And at the end of this picking up and saying, sure, I, I can do that, he looked straight at the camera and said, how am I going to do that? What in the world does that have to do with Pentecost? I hope you'll see as we read the scripture that the disciples had had so many things they wanted to do for Jesus. He had said before he was raised to heaven, greater things than I have done, you will do. And they wanted to do them. But the question was, how on earth are we going to do that? So listen to God's beautiful answer as he gives it to us first in Acts 1, which you heard last week, the the promise, and then the giving of the promise in Acts 2. Hear the word of God. First Acts 1, verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now to the Pentecost fulfillment in chapter 2. How did God do that? How were they witnesses? Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking to us Galileans? How is it then that each of us hears them speaking to us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own 
tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. But Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain what's happening to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. When the people heard this, skipping to verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what then shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. When Steve, I'm going to pray first and then tell you about when Steve called me. Let's pray. My Lord, we have heard these powerful words that you've preserved for us in your holy word. I pray that they would enter our souls in brand new ways. May the words of my mouth, Lord, and the thoughts and meditations of each one of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And now to what Steve said. When Steve called a few months ago trying to fill up his sabbatical calendar with fill-in preachers, and by the way, I I so love your Steve Goyer. He's a treasured colleague in Christ. When he called, I randomly chose, um, gratefully, I was excited to be asked, July 9th and 22nd because it worked for my family, and then he said, well, those dates are fine, they're open, and then the list came out with everyone's name on it, and it happened to say July 9th. Pentecost. Neely Tao said, oh my gosh, it's like I randomly chose Christmas. This just was so exciting. I couldn't believe that I'd just put my finger on Pentecost. Exciting and joyful, yes, but also a huge challenge because there's so much to say about the Holy Spirit. And he told me this is to be 20 minutes. So much to say. Also a challenge because... In our different traditions, our different denominations, we emphasize different facets of the Holy Spirit, and one denomination may do it differently than another, and I had no idea what that would be. But also confusing because we've already heard, uh, challenging because we've already heard so much about the Holy Spirit that it's bound to be 
repetitive for many of you. So please forgive me if in these 20 minutes the whole thing is redundant. You've already heard this, done this. And please help me forgive Steve for giving me 20 minutes and not three hours. I'll deal with him later. So let's begin. At the very beginning of our understanding of the Holy Spirit is what we've just been singing and and praising God in the Trinitarian understanding of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've heard it since we were children. I've never thought to do anything about that, but say yes, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Beautiful. I love it. I heard it in liturgy, hymnody, just as you do. And though we all may assent to the, the triune God and understand at some level, for me, and I don't speak for you now, but for me, and for many Christians, like many Christians, I had almost no personal experience of the Holy Spirit. It was more of a head knowledge than a heart knowledge. I did have enough head knowledge to uh, teach Sunday school for years, and I taught the children about the Holy Spirit. I taught the children about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But all those years of teaching, I just didn't really have the experience of the Holy Spirit. No tongues of fire had lit on my shoulders as it did that great day of Pentecost. The head knowledge that I have, I think you probably all share. I knew that the Holy Spirit, for instance, was the invisible, life-giving power of God, the life force of God. I knew somehow from old Sunday school lessons or somewhere that the word for a spirit in the the Old Testament, pneuma in the New Testament, was the same word, wind, spirit, and breath. It was all the same. So whether Scripture spoke about the wind of God or the spirit of God or the breath of God, it was all that invisible life force of his. I knew also from all the years in church that it was very much, every bit as much, in fact, as present the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament as the New Testament I knew, as you, I'm sure, remember, that the opening paragraph of Scripture was the Spirit hovering upon the dark void and calling forth order out of chaos and light out of dark. It was the Spirit of God that was there in the formation of the earth. And then likewise, uh, in, in Genesis 2, when God formed us, people, human beings, It says he he took the the dust of the earth and he breathed into it his life. He spirited into us his spirit. He breathed into us his Holy Spirit, and that's what gave us life. And so I think like you, I knew somehow that, that we were born with a bit of his spirit in us, that breath that was, in fact, life to us. I also remembered Old Testament stories as a child. I remembered Samson, who was bound, and I had this visual picture in my Sunday school class, bound in ropes, and it says in Scripture that the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, and the ropes, which were uh, his bondage, became melted like flax, like melted flax. They just disappeared, and in my Sunday school picture, He's been set free from this bondage by the power of the Holy Spirit. And likewise with David, he wasn't set free. 
He was anointed as king, and he was beautiful as he continued to let God's spirit uh, control him and bring him back when he fell away. And Jesus, of course, we all know that Jesus, when he rose out of the waters of baptism, received, golly, this is such an incredible word picture of that, received the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it was a dove, but not quiet and gentle like a dove. It was the power of God, the power of God that had not, according to scriptural records, been his before that. He is recorded as having no miracles, no public teaching, no sacrificial love, nothing like what led him to the cross until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. All of us remember that incredible time. And Peter then later, if we read the book of Acts, was filled with the Holy Spirit three times in two chapters. There was a lot of filling with the Holy Spirit in Scripture, and the list is endless. We could spend all of our time on that. But for me, for me and maybe for you, the Holy Spirit was always either up here. I love head knowledge. I love Scripture. I just, I just absolutely love it. I know you do too. But it tended to stay up in here. Or it was out there somewhere. It was the people in the past, those saints in Scripture, or maybe some very holy people that I'd heard of in our day and age that were chosen somehow uh, for saintliness. I didn't know how that worked. I was, I had a lot of questions. Until one day in a multi-denominational Bible study, my favorite type, because we learn so much from one another's perspectives, I began to see more and to consider what more that could be for me, as maybe you've asked the same question of God for you. I was once again explaining the Trinity. That always comes up in Bible studies. And I used the same fourth grade, sort of a clinical explanation. Maybe your fourth grade teacher told you that, that the Trinity was uh, water, ice, and steam, three different manifestations of the same compound H2O. How many of you all learned that in Sunday school? You didn't. Well, maybe you didn't. Just Maybe you all don't put your hands up here. I don't know. Anyhow, that's what I learned, and that's what I taught, and that's what I believed. But in this Bible study, as I was spouting this out, it was perfectly clear to me, a woman named Jeannie said, oh, now, wait a minute. You mean, like, I'm Jeannie, and to my family, to my parents, I'm daughter, but to my children, I'm mother, and to my husband, I'm wife, but I'm still Jeannie. It just has to do with different ways of being in relationship. Is that what you mean? Well, I hadn't really meant that, but that was it. And another woman in the class jumped up and clarified it. She said, absolutely. God, in his grace, wanted so much for us to live in loving relationship with him that he gave us three easy ways to relate to him. God the Father, sovereign. He's got the whole world in his hands. The creator, the wondrous sovereign God the Father. And God beside us, which he knew we would also need. God taking on our humanity in Jesus, living as one of us, showing us how God intended for us to live, and then dying 
on the cross to cancel the penalty of our shame and guilt so it wouldn't wreck that design beside us, God beside us, above, beside, but also God within us, deep within us, the power of God, the invisible, life-giving power of God to live in us day in and day out so that we day in and day out might live the life uh, that Jesus called us to live, that we might live out the design of God, his holy purpose. I hadn't really considered that inner power. What was the matter with me all those years? You've probably thought about it for decades and decades. I had talked about it and thought about others with that, but I hadn't really thought about that power in me. I wanted to walk always with Jesus, and I'd felt that, that uh, beside-me presence since childhood. I don't remember actually not feeling him beside me, but I hadn't invited the Holy Spirit in. I hadn't known that without the Holy Spirit, I could never be a witness for him because I'd be witnessing in my own strength, which had not power of God in it. He called them to witness in his power, not their own, and I'd been doing it wrong for an awfully long time. Without his power in us to do what he's called us to do, we are powerless without his holy breath. Not just for the so-called miracles, like healing the sick, like prophesying or casting out demons, who knows what, speaking in tongues, not for those grand miracles, but for the minor miracles that to me are also major, the ordinary things that I'd tried my life to do, like love. Like loving the way Jesus did, like loving sacrificially, like loving people who were difficult to love. I couldn't do it. I'd failed. Like forgiving, I'd also tried very hard to do that when someone hurt me. Sometimes it, sometimes it happened a bit, but not always. Like wanting God's will more than my will. So often I wanted God to bless my will because I had a lot of it and I had a lot of things I wanted to do and I wanted him really just to bless it and make it prosper. But I hadn't asked his will. Do you know what a wanna wanna prayer is? Anybody know what a wanna wanna prayer is? I just think you don't put your hands up. I don't know. Maybe you never heard of it. Well, I hadn't. But here's what a wanna wanna prayer is. When we're praying and we want to say, Lord, I want your will in my life. Lord, I want your will to be done in and through me, not just in the world at large. Sometimes we can't say it because actually that's not what we want at that moment. And so there's a want to want a prayer. And that is, Lord, I want to want it. I want to want your will. I don't right now, but I want to want it. So I'm giving you that as a word of um, encouragement. There's such a thing as a want to want a prayer. Well, I hadn't done that. I also hadn't received the quantum amount of the Spirit's patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit, 
I don't know how I thought it was going to grow on my limbs when it was still so much of a head concept to me. But the Bible study sent me back to the great Pentecost account that now we've heard twice today and that I've heard for decades since. I reread it back then and I reread it all the time, the Acts account, especially in chapter 1 where Jesus says to them, I want you to be my witnesses, but don't go in your own steam. You'll never be able to do it. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said, wait. Wait until you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Wait. Well, I had been baptized at birth, and so I was grateful for what I believed what his, was his, not only the breath of Holy Spirit in giving me life, but in making me his own in my baptism. I love that. I love that. I didn't really know what baptized in the Holy Spirit meant, so I looked that up. I looked up baptized and found out, and you may know this also, that baptizo, the word baptized, comes not from theology. It wasn't a religious word for the Jews at all. It comes from the commerce industry, from the dyeing industry, the cloth dyeing industry. My Bible study folks, all of you all know this, but some of you may not. It was important to me. In the cloth dyeing industry, when an old tired piece of cloth, they didn't have very beautiful cloth then, dingy looking, was dipped into dye, it was baptized, it was baptizoed, which meant it was soaked, it was drenched in the Holy Spirit so thoroughly that it came out with a new identity. It came out beautiful in a way it, it was not before. It came out uh, unrecognizable from its former self. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit, therefore, must mean that we were invited to be immersed in the Holy Spirit so thoroughly that we look different that something happens to us and we're not the dingy person we were before, but we're a fact, in fact alive in the power and the beauty of Jesus. Well, that's what happened to those 120 who were waiting and praying. They took Jesus' words seriously and they waited and prayed and they were drenched that day in this phenomenon of the Holy Spirit, soaked through and through, so that they began to speak in a language that they didn't even know. None of them knew the dialects of those uh, Jews around the Mediterranean who had all come for the Jewish feast of Passover. They didn't know those languages, but they began to speak them, and they were unrecognizable from their former selves. Peter stood up, who just hours, weeks, months before all those times between the resurrection and now, so filled with shame and embarrassment at his betrayal of Jesus. He had been debilitated by that, but he stood up now, a new person in the Holy Spirit, and began to shout to the crowd, this is for you and for all of you. This is the love of God poured out in his spirit for all of you. Receive it fully. He didn't use the word baptized then, but he did later. So that you can perform the signs and wonders that he's called us to perform 
as he said that we would carry on his work after he died by the power of the Spirit. So as we studied this more in our Bible study, we all began to pray more consistently to be filled with the Holy Spirit. People in the church began to be filled. And I, I, I began to notice things. Let me tell you some of the things that I noticed uh, in other people and in myself, because I think um, it's as we share these experiences of the Holy Spirit, or these observations, that our, uh, our experiences overlap and intersect. Well, one of the first persons that I noticed a difference in, I couldn't say that he looked altogether different, but he told me he was different on the inside, just as, as um, Emily told the children. This was one of our commuter men who worked in New York, as so many, most of our men did in our church. I worked in a suburb of New York in Connecticut. He said, I have to tell you what's happened to me. I said, well, what? He said, you're not going to believe this, which is the way most people started, what they were going to tell me about God in their life. You won't believe this. I said, well, I bet I will. Tell me what it is. He said, well, you remember how hard-hearted I was about the homeless in New York? I said, I do remember that. We had a midnight run feeding, and you said you didn't want to be part of that. You didn't agree with that. And I remember that. He said, well, guess what? Those homeless people in front of my office now that I passed every day and who I thought were a nuisance, I now think are brothers. Everything's changed inside me for these people on the sidewalk. I love them. I love them, and I've started a campaign in my office of of McDonald's gift cards. We've all bought $5 cards and we give them away because it's hard to know when to give cash and when not to. But we, I I just can't tell you. It's all new inside. I said, ah, this is so beautiful. He said, I think it's the Holy Spirit. I said, right on, right on. It's wonderful. A few months, late years, I'm not sure. I'm really bad on time. But after that, I was interviewing for a young associate. I was on the old side, and I needed somebody on the young side to round out the team. And, I inter- and I, we also needed a contemporary worship. So I interviewed this young man who uh, had been a young life leader and um, was a guitar, you know, cowboy sort of a guy. I just loved him. Beard. Didn't look a thing like me, that's for sure. Um, I was interviewing him, and I said, as all interviewers would say, well, tell me about yourself. Tell me about you um, behind what I see and what I've heard is is wonderful. He said, well, I want you to know right away, and this is very public. I wouldn't tell this if this were his private confession. He said, I want you to know that I'm a recovering drug addict, that I fought it for years and years to no avail. I went from one rehab center to another, and finally, in the last one that I was in, I was trying to escape. It was at night, and I was supposed to be asleep, and I went to the glass doors, the front doors, and I took a chair, the secretary's chair, and tried to ram it through the glass doors. And as I had it up in the air, I said, God, help me, meaning, God, help me smash this door and get out of here. But God heard my real heart's cry, And he took the chair and took all my energy away. I found myself on the floor sobbing. And I felt, he didn't mention Samson, but that's who I thought of. I felt this bondage break. 
And I was free. And I was free. And I still work those 12 steps. I am very serious about that. But I'm also very serious about daily replenishment in the Holy Spirit. And you need to know that before you hire me. I couldn't wait to hire him. And he was just this greatest gift to our church. He's moved on now. He's a senior pastor somewhere else. Those are two things I observed about two other people. And then there were things I observed about myself. There was a man in our congregation. This is even later. I don't know when it was. He was a retired army general who had moved into town and came and joined our church. Well, I don't have to tell you that his idea of leadership and mine were very different. And I didn't think that would be a problem until he got on the leadership board and began to express how much he thought it really was a problem. He began to uh, point out all the, all the things I'd done wrong. There were, there were lots. I knew that, but I didn't think he was going to publicize it, for heaven's sakes. And he began to think that we really needed to redo everything we were doing, to, to, to redo the, the rules of governance, the polity, the... The, the everything that we'd worked so hard. I thought we were, I thought God was just blessing us fine, but he took issue with that, and so um, I took issue with him. <laughs> um, and as uh, I dug in on a couple things, uh, well, if you want to see dug in, you've got to see the way a, um, a retired army general digs in. <laughs> and so uh, we were just about to come to uh, a blow-up, this was my first enemy that I knew of. I'm sure I had other enemies all along the way, but I didn't, they hadn't professed it to me. They hadn't sort of come at me this way, but anyhow, this was my first enemy, and Scripture says, um, pray for your enemies. I had prayed for my enemy. I had prayed for Dick. I had prayed repeatedly, but I think what I really prayed for was that he'd move out of town. <laughs> I hadn't prayed for a new heart. And so, and my Bible studies all heard this. This is such a terrible thing to confess. As I was at the communion table one Sunday after that, about six pews back, there was Dick and his wife. And I realized they were coming for communion, and they were on the side that would come to my chalice, or the one I had been asked to hold. And I had this terrible and terrifying sin that I didn't want to serve him. It doesn't get any lower than that for a pastor. That's the lowest I can think of. But there it was. There it was. And so I shot up an emergency prayer. Lord, help quickly. Emergency. Help me. I can't love Dick. I've tried and I can't forgive him. I need you to do it through me. Quickly, immediately. (laughs) Come, Holy Spirit. And by the time that man got to the communion table and to the chalice that I held, I had such a love for him that it took every ounce of self-control not to set down the chalice and hug him. I'd never felt, I'd never felt the power of God forgiving through me or the power of God loving through me. His doing it his spirit doing it just through me. That made me only want more of God's Holy Spirit. 
And so, like the rest of us in church, we kept praying for more. And then one day I got another taste of it that changed my life even further. I went to the hospital to make hospital calls. All clergy do that repeatedly. I'd prayed for hundreds of people in the hospital, years and years and years and years. And as I was coming out of one of our congregants' room, and I'll end with this, um, the nurses, as they often did, I'm sure they do it to you too, said, could you just pray for the lady in 432? She's in agonizing pain, and the pain control people can't seem to get a hold of it. So I said, sure. They didn't tell me her name, but I walked in and I recognized her. I'd known her from the past. I didn't know her name, but her name was Beverly. And it was Beverly. Her knees were bent up in the bed, but they were going to and fro. She was in a bit of a coma, but she was writhing. She was in such pain. And so I reached out and put my hands on her bent knees, and I prayed the way I do with all everyone. Lord, come in your power to heal this person. Come in your Holy Spirit and, and heal. Take away this pain from Beverly and heal her. And as I was praying, my hand turned hot. I thought, oh no, oh my gosh, it was on fire. I knew exactly what it was. It was Pentecost all over again. And it wasn't back then, and it wasn't up there. It was in room 432, and it was ordinary people like me. And I was so shaken that I I think I just ended the prayer and, and ran out. I remember getting in my car, and I couldn't drive. It was before cell phones. I couldn't call my husband. I couldn't do anything. I just sat there and prayed for a while and finally got home and called him. And he said, well, why don't you call the hospital and see how she is? So a time had elapsed. And so I called and I said, could you uh, possibly tell me about the lady in 432, Beverly? And this is Neely Town. I prayed for her. And they said, yes, the most amazing thing has happened. She's sleeping like a baby. She's sleeping like a baby. She's apparently pain-free. I didn't know what to say, but I thanked God. And the next day I called again, and they said she died. I was so perplexed. There's so much about the Holy Spirit that I do not understand. I can't get it all in my head. But I found out the hard way that it's too much for the head. It never was supposed to stay lodged up there. It's for the heart. It's for the inner being. It's for the soul. It's for all of us. So that we can live not in our strength and witness not in our strength, and do signs and wonders, whether it's loving and forgiving or bringing someone to healing or reconciliation or whatever it might be. The work of Jesus, that's our work. We are all called to be those witnesses in his mighty power. I don't know. I don't know just how it works. I don't know. I don't know why the pain was gone but not the cancer. I'll never know. I do know that I want more. And that I not only want more, I can't live without it. I can't be a blessing to anybody without it. And that's where I think our lives probably intersect the most. We want to bless for our Lord Jesus, don't we? We want to be witnesses in the way we live, the way we love. But without the Spirit, we cannot. 
And I think Annie Dillard, this is why I'll close. Annie Dillard was on to something when she wrote in touching, a Teaching a Stone to Talk. Why do we go to church like cheerful tourists on a packaged tour of the Almighty? Do any of us have the foggiest idea what sort of power we blithely invoke? Or even more, do any of us believe a word of it? It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. The apostles went out to do the transformational work of Jesus Christ, miracle after miracle. Three centuries later, St. Augustine said, I can't get to time to write my book because there's so many miracles all around me. Back to the television commercial in Pentecost. I believe that all of us want to say, sure, Lord, we can do it. We can do it. But then we say, after failing, we either back away, get it back in our heads, or we say, how are we going to do this? And he says, let me fill you. Let me soak you in my spirit until you're my new creation. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen.